Hi, my name is Chris, and the first Old Testament reading is found in Exodus 2 through 20, 23 through 25. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The, Isra- the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God locked, so God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Lindsay. The second Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 7. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Mark. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to, marry, to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord, for Christ. Let's pray. Father, this is the time of year where we open the scriptures and we read these stories about the birth of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And what we find in these stories is all of these unsuspecting characters not being ready for what came next. God showing up. 
God moving in, God coming near. And so today, Holy Spirit of God, we invite you to come near afresh and show up with us in unsuspecting ways. We ask that you would move in our lives and speak to us and open our ears that we would hear, soften our hearts that we would receive, open our eyes that we might see. And so today, Lord, we pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. My name is Daniel Grothy. I'm the pastor of New Life Friday Night and on the senior teaching team. I'm glad to be with you this morning. Uh, When I got up this morning, I just knew, somehow I just knew that the first service would be full. And some of you would think, you know, oh, Daniel got a prophetic word. No, I just looked at the Broncos schedule. Uh, They play at 11, so it makes sense that the nine is full. Welcome to church. Don't worry, we'll get you out of here before the Presbyterians so that you can get home by 11. Um, Here we are in the second week of Advent, and we've come to open God's Word and to hear from Him. But as we get started, I've been thinking, um, I've been watching people post pictures online, you know, Facebook or Instagram. And what I've noticed about the young folk, and I can say young, I'm only 34, but I'm balding, so I can say young, uh, the young folk, is uh, I've noticed that they take pictures and they put something at the end of their pictures. They're called hashtags, right? And what they'll do is like they'll take this beautiful picture of maroon bells. They're hiking in the summer. There's the maroon bells. And they'll say, hashtag, you know, never stop exploring. Because maroon bells isn't enough. It's not beautiful enough. We've got to say, you know, we're adventurous. Never stop exploring. Um, maybe, uh, maybe you take a picture of your meal group. And we're dining together and we've opened the scriptures and we're praying and we're sharing life and we're just laughing, having a great time, meal group, hashtag life is people, right? Because it's not just enough to eat dinner together. We got to say we're really for community, life is people. Um, Another one that comes to mind uh, is maybe that moment when uh, you go go down Nevada to Nevada and Castilla and you walk into Loyal Coffee I'm friends with one of the owners, beautiful place, Loyal Coffee. It's making downtown better. And you walk in, you take a picture of Loyal Coffee, and you put up hashtag buy local, right? Because we just want to stick it to Starbucks, Uh, (laughs) buy local. Um, Anyway, my favorite one, and and this is going somewhere, people. My favorite one is hashtag meet the moment. I I noticed that young people use this, meet the moment, because, you know, like, you just got to rise to the occasion. Every day is a new day, and you got to stand up and be present in every conversation, hashtag meet the moment. Well, the other morning, it was Wednesday morning, my son Wilson, who's seven, he decided to meet the moment. He woke up at 6 a.m., and he was like a horse out the gates at the Kentucky Derby. From 6 a.m., he was just ready to live, and I I needed some space, because I wasn't yet. Uh, so I said, why don't you go up and do some Legos for a minute? Uh, so he goes up at 6.10, and I hear him doing Legos, and, and his, he wakes up his sister and brother, and they're all playing up there at 6.10, and all of a sudden I hear his feet, you know, do, 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 and then I hear him, ah! He starts screaming, blood-curdling scream, and so I run upstairs, and Wilson is laying on his bed, tears streaming down his face, and I said, Wilson, what happened? You, what's going on? And he pointed up, and the fan was going, and he decided to jump on his bed, and he jumped right into the fan. He met the moment that morning. <laughs> you know. 
It was a couple years ago that Glenn and I were driving uh, from Peregrine, and we were coming down Woodman Road, and it was in the snow. We came around this bend, and all of a sudden, there's two cars that are in the ditch. One of them turned over, and it was just a mess of a scene. And there was a guy in the middle of the road, and he had on a vest, one of those vests that glows in the dark, and he had on like a flash, or had a flashlight, and he was directing traffic. He came upon the wreck. It happened a minute ago. He came upon the wreck. He jumps out of his car. He's got a vest. He's got a flashlight. And he starts doing what he does. I get out and, and, and he said, hi, Pastor Glenn. Hi, Pastor Daniel. We're like, hi. <laughs> <laughs> Knew him from church. Isaac, he's 17. He's 17 years old. He comes upon a wreck and jumps out and knows exactly what to do. He had a vest. He had a flashlight. We later found out that he had apprenticed himself to the Colorado Springs Police Department and was studying how to show up in a crisis and take care of business. This kid knows how to meet the moment, little Isaac Brum. I've been reading the biography of Abraham Lincoln, and it's this 800-page tome, and what I've discovered in this book is just how much anguish this man lived in in this crucial moment in our nation's history. In fact, he told his cabinet one day that he was... He was contemplating ending his life. I mean, this is the president of the United States in so much anguish, he didn't know what to do, and he had hit the end of his road, and, and, and somehow he was able to rise to the occasion and lead our nation through a crisis. You see, from Esther in the Old Testament to Wycliffe in the 1300s, translating the Bible into English, to William and Catherine Booth beginning the Salvation Army, to Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Martin Luther King Jr. and Mother Teresa, and all of their significant contrib contributions, what we've seen is that God prepares his people in times like this to stand up and to meet the moment. If that's the good news, and it is great news, there's also some bad news that accompanies it. Because no matter how great a contribution these folks have made that we've talked about already, it was never going to be enough. As much as Abraham Lincoln did for our nation, we still have work to do. As much as William and Catherine Booth were a blessing, we still have work to do. As much as Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up in a moment in time in Germany and stood against the Nazi empire, we still have work to do. It was never going to be enough. Isaiah comes along and says... For a people walking in darkness, get ready to live because the light is coming. See, the question is, looking at the disarray and the destruction of the world that we live in, the question becomes, who is this God? What will he do? What is God like? What we find is that Isaiah says God is going to step into these situations of destruction and bring the light and bring the marvelous light. You see, a lot of times people think because of the destruction in the world, and I'm getting ready to go to Lebanon to go into a, Syrian, a bunch of Syrian refugee camps. Four years ago, the population of Lebanon was four million. Today, it's over six million because ISIS ran out over two million Syrians. I mean, you, you look at stories like that and you say, how in the world could God let that happen? What is God like and is God good? And, or is God just some sort of code word for this sheer block of impersonal power? What is God like? The Old Testament gives us a story that helps us begin to answer this question and I want to look at it this morning. The people of Israel had found themselves in slavery for 430 years. 
Our nation, the United States, has been around for 240 years. Think about 430 years of slavery. And here they are groaning and crying out and the crack of the whip over their back and the slave masters, more brick, less straw. Meet your quota, people. They had become sort of the economic infrastructure upon which Pharaoh had built his Egyptian economy. And here they are groaning and crying out and for some reason nothing is changing. What is God like, they must have been asking. I thought this was our father who who spoke to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and what is going on in our lives. It says in Exodus chapter 2, 23 through 25, after a long time the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groaned under their slavery and they cried out and out of their slavery their cry for help rose to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked upon the Israelites and God took notice of them. You see, in this story, we see the anguish of God at the plight of the enslaved, that something in God's heart cracked, something in him decided to move. He heard, their cry came up into his hearing, it says. And Isaiah said, yes, this is exactly what God is like because there's a people who are living in the land of deep darkness under the shadow of death. Isaiah 9 describes this. But he says, for those people, God came, the light came into the darkness. And then we see, we read about the angelic visitation. I'll skip down to uh, verse 20 where it says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and I've underlined it here, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. You see, the question we want to ask today is why Advent? Why Advent? Why Christmas? Why this time of rejoicing? A lot of cynical people might say it's because the marketers have discovered that we really like stuff. It's the most wonderful time of the year and put big red bows and drive cars into homes and buy really expensive Lexuses. Like that's why Christmas. No, why Advent? Because we see that God is the God who chases out the darkness with the light of his son, Jesus Christ. God is the God who sees and hears the groan of the needy and he sends his greatest gift, the son of God, Jesus, into that space. You see, we find the vocation of Jesus embedded in his very name. The angel came and said, and you are to call his name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus just simply means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. In the very root of his name, we find what his vocation will be. Jesus, for the first 30 years of his life, It's a very quiet existence. In fact, it's shocking to me that we only really know about one-eleventh of his life, from 30 to 33. The first 30 years, silent. He's out in obscurity. He's working with his father, Joseph, in the carpentry business. He's going to synagogue. He's studying. He's just, just a simple, quiet life that Jesus has. 
But then all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him and leads him out into the wilderness for 40 days of prayer and fasting where he's tempted by the devil. And there's this back and forth, and Jesus overcomes the enemy three times, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And he sort of walks back through the sins that Adam and Eve fell into in the garden. And yet Jesus is faithful this time. And out of that space, Jesus comes back into town and shows up at church. And he's sitting in the seats one day at church, and it's time for the scripture reading like we just had. And they said, oh, Jesus, why don't you come on up and read? You're a good teacher. So Jesus takes the scroll for that day, the Old Testament reading, and he opens up the scroll to Isaiah chapter 61, and you know what he says. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind, to comfort all those who mourn, to give them a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. He's come today by his spirit to bring beauty instead of ashes and strength instead of fear and gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. And Jesus says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he drops the mic and he sits down. (laughs) Jesus says today this scripture, Isaiah 61 is me. The spirit of the sovereign Lord God is upon me because I know that there's a people that have been walking in darkness and I know that they've been living in the land of the shadow of death and my father sent me. Light has come into the world today. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 4 says this, and this is the plight of all humanity apart from God. It says, the yoke that, the, that burdens them. The enemy has come to give us a yoke to burden us. He talks about the bar across their shoulders, and I've capitalized that. The bar across their shoulders. This is what slaves carry around. When you're going to transfer them from one place to the other, you can't have them breaking ranks and running off. So you chain them all together and you put a bar across their shoulder and you tell them what to do because they're your property. The enemy has put the bar across their shoulders. He talks about the rod of the oppressors, but then he shifts gears and he t- in, in verse 6 he talks about, for unto us a child is born. But it's not just that a child's born. He says a son is given. It's not just a child born, but a son has been given. And what does it say? And the government will be upon his shoulders. The bar of the oppressor that has been across their shoulders, now a son has been born and given to us. And the government of our lives and the government of all humanity and the ruling of the world will be put upon his shoulders. Maybe you've heard me tell this story, if you've heard me through the years, but it bears repeating. My dad grew up as an only child, and his parents had him in their early 40s, and they didn't like each other. His parents didn't like each other. In fact, they were going to get divorced, and they, they actually hated each other. They fought they turned over the tables. They used utensils at the dinner table as weapons. And they, they were getting ready to have a divorce, get a divorce. And all of a sudden, they found out for the very first time they're pregnant in their early 40s. We can't get a divorce now. 
And so let's, let's double down. Let's try. And so they raise this little boy, but this little five-year-old boy, my dad, finds himself in the kitchen at night at the table. And all of a sudden, the, the, the anger that had been brewing all day between mother and father spilled over. It percolated to the top. It spills over. And they throw the table over. And my little five-year-old dad is trying to pull his parents off of each other and saying, can't we just work this out? Stop it. What is wrong with you? This is not what family is supposed to be about. And he'd go to bed. And my dad tells me the stories of going to bed as a five-year-old, laying in bed and crying himself to sleep, saying, God, would you just give me a happy family one day? Would you give me a happy family? It's all I want. Because something in me says that this is not right. He started walking to church. His parents never went to church, but my dad... As a nine-year-old boy decided to go to church one day and he walked a couple miles in Tulsa, Oklahoma and he went to Second and Sheridan and walked into this Assembly of God church. Sheridan Assembly of God. By himself. And he's just standing in the lobby. Can you imagine a nine-year-old walking two miles to church today by himself and he just comes in the lobby and wondering, will anyone see me? Will anyone know me? And sure enough, someone saw him. It seems like that kid is... So the guy goes to him. The guy's the worship leader of the church, and he says, hey, are you, are you here with your family? No? Are you here by yourself? Yeah. Well, come sit with us, me and my wife, LaVon. So it's Vep and LaVon Ellis, and they invite him down, and they sit. He, hey, we'll pick you up next week. So they picked him up next week. And other men in the church started hearing about little Davy, little Davy boy. And we'll pick you up. And they got a rotation of guys picking up my dad. He's nine years old. He's 12 years old. At nine years old, he gave his heart to the Lord in that little church there. 15 years old, he's still going to this church. His parents never came. Vep, Vep Ellis, the worship leader, said, Dave, you're, you've been taking guitar lessons. Why don't you help me in the band? 15 years old, my dad's helping lead in the band with his hero who found him in church by himself. And my dad, one night when he was 15, got a call from his dad who worked in the oil fields of Oklahoma. And still there was tension in the house. It was not a beautiful marriage. There was fighting. And Davey, tell your, tell your mom I'll be home late. So my dad tells my grandma, Grothy, dad said he'll be home late. They're sitting there watching the television and across the bottom the little ticker goes by, nine men killed an oil explosion out in this field. And then the police officer comes to the door. Uh, Please sit down. We're so sorry to inform you that you've lost your husband and your dad tonight. So at 15 years old, my dad's by it. He's with his mom. His dad has died. At 19, my dad's a sophomore in college, and his mom starts getting these headaches when when he's 18. His freshman year, get these headaches, find out she has a brain tumor, and she dies when he's a sophomore in college. He's 19 years old and by himself. Grown up in this home with parents fighting and hating each other, and then all of a sudden tragedy strikes his dad, and then sickness strikes his mother, and he's 19, and he's got a house to sell and two cars to figure out what to do with, and he's scared to death. Because as he thinks about his dad, his dad died in a tragedy, and then he thinks about his grandpa, Grothy, who, who died in a tragedy, and he thinks about his uncle, who, who had a tragedy, and then ended up, just, he thinks about all the men in his life, and there's tragedy as far back as he knows. And then he thinks about the women. Mom died of a brain tumor, and then her sisters both died in their 50s of sickness, and then all the women in the family have died of sickness, and my dad is 19, and he's driving around town in Tulsa, Oklahoma, thinking, 
is this going to be the day that I go? He'd get a headache and he'd think, oh, there it is. Oh, goodness. And at 19 years old, he's tormented with death. And on his fall break, his freshman year after just, or his sophomore year after just burying his mother, he goes to Alito, Texas to his friend's home for a fall break. He just needs to get away. And he goes to their little church on a Tuesday night for a prayer meeting. There's 30 people in the room at Alito Christian Center. And the pastor's wife said, if any of you want prayer, just why don't you come on down front? And 19-year-old David Grothy goes down front and he falls on his knees with his face on the first step. And he's weeping. And he's scared of how he's going to die. And he's got this dark cloud. Talk about the land of the shadow of death. And all of a sudden, someone comes up behind him. And this lady says, the curse that has been on your family for generations is stopped with your generation. For it is written, Christ has redeemed you from the, ha- from the curse of the law being made a curse for you. For it is written, cursed is every man that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on all those who believe and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. This woman who's a stranger to him quotes Galatians 3, 13 and 14 and says, the curse that's been hovering over your family has stopped with your generation. He said, I got up from that step that night, Tuesday night in Alito, Texas. And I've never once feared death again. You see, this is personal to me. And some of you hear a story like this and you think, sounds familiar. Because maybe you've lived in the land of the shadow of death. Maybe you've lived under the darkness. Maybe you've lived under the unreconciled destruction of relationships. And maybe you know the fear. And maybe you don't know how you're going to make that next paycheck or that next bill. Or maybe you don't know how that relationship could ever be restored. You hear little David Grothy's story and you say, yeah, sounds familiar, the land of the shadow of death. And Isaiah comes among us today. The Spirit of the Lord comes among us today to say... For a people walking in darkness, there's a great light that's coming on those living in the land of the shadow of death. Light has come for unto us a child is born and unto us a son has been given and he's going to take the governorship of the world on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor and mighty God and everlasting father and prince of peace. Today, I want you to hear that Jesus is the response of the God who has ears that hear the cry of the groaning and the needy. That Jesus Christ is the gift of God for all those who have been wondering, does God actually feel this? Does God's heart break at the brokenness of my life? I want to suggest to you that in Jesus we find the God who perpetually rises to meet the moment of our need. Jesus has come among us today to bring us into the wholeness the fullness of God's gift. Today as we come to quiet our hearts and to prepare to receive communion, I want to ask you a couple questions because I think today is a moment of exchange. Because the enemy wants us to carry the rod of the oppressor, to, to feel that on our back and the bar across our shoulders. But Jesus has come to carry it on his shoulders. And so today I've got a few questions in this moment of exchange. The first is, what's the darkness that you've been walking in. You know, very often we walk in darkness that was put on us, like the little five-year-old boy whose parents were fighting. That wasn't anything that my dad did, but he was sure enough living in darkness because of something that was put on him.
Maybe you feel like you're in a situation like that today. But also, many of us walk in darkness because of vows that we've made with the enemy, because of things that we've done, because of sin that we've participated in, and yet we find ourselves under that cloud of darkness. So what's the cloud of darkness you've been walking in? The second question that I want to ask is this. What's, what do you need to transfer over to Jesus' shoulders today? What do you need to let go of today? Jesus has come to carry it, but will we lay it down? In 1 Peter 5, Peter says, cast all your cares on the Lord, for he cares for you. And maybe some of you today, as the Spirit is working among us, your, your, your mind is being triggered to things that you need to let go of, that you need to cast over onto the Lord today. The third question is, in what ways has the trampling boot of the warrior which is out of Isaiah's prophecy here. In what ways has the trampling boot of the warrior caused destruction in your life? Could we quiet our hearts here and close our eyes and begin to do business with the Lord as the Spirit moves among us? What do you need to cast on the Lord today? Maybe there's something you need to name today before the Lord. Isaiah would later say, all we like sheep have gone astray and each of us has turned to our own wicked ways. If that's you today, would you come home? Would you lay it down? Would you renounce that part of your past and say yes to the freedom that Jesus has for you today?